Hello there, and welcome to Food Lab Talk. I'm your host, Michael Bakker. Over 6 million rural households in India depend on farming cotton crops. But every year, pests like pink bollworm destroy up to 30% of them. With support from Google.org, a non-profit called Wadwani AI has developed an AI-driven app to identify pests and recommend mitigation strategies. And with the help from the app, Wadwani reports that farmers' profit increased 20% and pesticide use decreased 25%. Now, Wadwani is receiving a new grant from Google.org and they're working with the India Ministry of Agriculture to roll out their technology across the country, focusing on 10 staple crops and mitigating the threat of hunger for billions of people. Today, I am joined by Aditya Nayan and Soma Devalia to learn more about their incredible work. Thanks for making time on a Saturday evening and welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Michael, as well. Aditya, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit more about your organization. What is it? What are you working on? How did it get started? So Wadwani AI or Wadwani Institute for Artificial Intelligence, it's an applied AI nonprofit institute. We have a US-based 501c3 and a India-based nonprofit. The idea is really to bring AI models and AI capability to social challenges across domains. The institute started operations about five years ago. It was inaugurated in India by the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi. And really, uh, the idea was that governments, nonprofits, these sectors, uh, they cater to a lot of social and development challenges. Could be in agriculture with smallholder farmers such as cotton farmers. It could be in public education systems. It could be in public healthcare systems. Uh, it could be in urban governance and urban affairs. Uh, it could be in finance and economic development. And uh, the AI technology uh, at that time, about five years ago, had already reached a point where a lot of people were talking about it. The promise in the technology was there for all to see, and people started realizing that this, this new paradigm of technology development is, is here to stay, of innovation is here to stay. And so that was when Vadvani was born, that how can you know, we ensure that the government sector and the development sector, especially in global south and low and middle income countries, doesn't get left behind? with this technology change. So that was with the idea that this institute was created. Over the last five years, we have worked on over 30 plus AI projects or AI solutions, mostly in partnership with government organizations here in India. Several of those 30 are in deployment, being used by millions of people in healthcare and agriculture and education. We've realized that this is the, the real opportunity. When we get to partner with governments, we get access to problem statements, data sets, deployment pathways and understand the sort of nuances or complexities of the programs that they're running and the uh, sort of key stakeholders, the beneficiaries. So uh, we're able to sort of custom build, not necessarily the most advanced AI models out there, but often use the AI research and sort of take that research and sort of contextualize it, fine tune it and make it for very specific use cases that are important in these settings, like I mentioned. Yeah. So I'm going to show up over here with my own biases. So rural India, AI, that sounds to me like a really unique and challenging combination. Soma, could you give us an example of ultimately how is AI being actually pragmatically being applied in a very rural environment? 
uh, I'll specifically talk about the Cottonus application, which is our flagship product in the agriculture space today. Uh, as you might be aware, uh, pink bollworm and American bollworm are the devastating pests, often leading to economic losses and also leading to loss of lives. Farmers commit suicides because uh, they, they could not realize the value or their return on investment. So in this particular case, uh, we developed uh, a computation model, for example, which will detect the pest on, on a trap. Let me roll back a little, I'll probably a little bit of context. So you have a form, in the form you install a trap called pheromone trap. It will attract the pest because of the chemicals in that particular pheromone trap. You know, pest gets attracted to this particular trap. And what you do is you take a, your smartphone camera, you take a photograph of that particular sheet of paper on which you would have dumped this pest. So our computation technique uh, identifies what kinds of pests are there and counts them. Based on the counts, we develop alerts. The develop could be something like green alert, which means no pest infestation was detected, so nothing to worry, versus in a yellow alert. If the count of pests is, let's say, more than five or more than five, then it's a red alert. Consequently, you might have to apply a higher dosage of chemical or a different dosage of chemical depending on which region you are. While technically this is, uh, I think, working very, very well, we also need to deal with other challenges. Now, for example, uh, when you're rolling out a, an AI-assisted solution, you now farmers might not be aware how to use it. Therefore, you need to train them, you need to teach them, you need to coach them on the right application of the product. And then what we realized in the due course of development is trust is a very, very important factor. We also have to build safeguard mechanisms for the farmers to you know, deal with models that can go wrong occasionally. Therefore, safety mechanisms have to be baked in too. Particularly in the cotton is, you know, what we developed is a multi-tiered approach to deal with potentially incorrect decisions. So when we build you know, technologies for the farmers where stakes are high, it's important to not only treat AI just as a technology, but think holistically not from end to end. Yeah. One point, which is, you know, that context of rural farmer and AI, there's a part in between, which is very important, which is the smartphone. And, you know, the penetration of smartphones actually over the last maybe 10 or 15 years in India has really increased. And this is actually all due to the private sector and obviously the government policies. But availability of smartphone, at least one in one household, if not one with every individual, then entry-level smartphones by certain large private players here in India uh, have made the smartphone and uh, data accessible. So that is sort of the missing link, which is what makes AI possible. I love the simplicity of the explanations. I get it. And I think it's so interesting. I think we have to make sure we build trust. And then I think what you've learned with cotton crop, you're going to apply to multiple crops, and now you get truly the flywheel effect. Ajija, love to learn a bit more about the impact of the first Google.org grant, and now with the second one coming as well. From what will you be able to do more? So the first Google.org grant that we got was, I believe, in 2019. Uh, it was part of the AI Impact Challenge, where we had submitted the Cotton Ace application as as our submission. And that was a huge boost for us because we had been inaugurated maybe less than 12 months ago. And so that really, you know, put us in some sense on the map 
And that was a lot of confidence and sort of funding and support behind this idea that we had that, you know, this is a way that we could help cotton farmers using AI. And, you know, to get support from an organization like Google was a huge, huge boost. And that funding helped us develop the AI model, the smartphone application, and then also reach out to cotton farmers through other nonprofits and government organizations. But the validation in this idea came again towards the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, when we partnered with the Ministry of Agriculture, Government of India. We became their AI partner uh, and they said two things. They said, one, why are you only doing it for cotton? There are a lot of other crops that, you know, could use this same kind of approach. And it doesn't only have to be a pest on a pest trap. The type of damage could be on the leaf due to some other type of plant disease or on the stem. So the same approach can be used where the farmer takes an image and the AI is able to give them a response as to what is, you know, affecting that particular plant and what could they do about it? Should they do anything at all? So uh, that's the trajectory that started down this route of building a, a national pest surveillance system is what you know it was sort of called uh, and the other benefit really of this is not just the farmers getting advisories but the ministry also themselves saying that can they get verified information about what kind of pests are actually infecting various kinds of fields crops across the country this kind of information where from an image in AI with a sort of reasonable or very high level of accuracy, not 100% accurate, but a high level of accuracy can identify what pests and what line of plant damage is happening there. And then you can sort of put those geolocations on a map and you can track that over time. That's the beginning of a system where you can start thinking about, okay, these are the types of infestations that are happening. Right now, you can get monitor them in real time over the next few years. Maybe you're able to predict them and your ability as a government or a nodal agency becomes much better at planning and responding to that at a policy level. So what are you going to be able to do now with the second grant? What will you be able to accelerate now? So it is this national pest surveillance system is what we're going to accelerate. The government was also taking some of its own initiatives. We bring in the AI capability to build these models for other pest and crop diseases. And so that's what we're going to be working on. I think the initial app is already ready from the government. Uh, some initial models are, are already going to be rolled out. And our role is really, you know, how many different kinds of pests, how many different kinds of diseases on various types of plants that we can identify, identify well with the same aspects of these models need to be trustable in the same way that Somat explained earlier. Uh, and they need to be sort of friendly for first time users of uh, technology for people who may not have used AI in this way so directly before. So uh, using those same principles, just sort of scale it up to other pest crop combinations. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the issue of trust, because I've heard you say loud and clear, even if you have an amazing solution, it starts with ultimately the farmers trusting the application and the experts. So, Soma, can you speak a little bit more about from how do you build trust? And part two of the question, I think it's possible that over time people become so trusting of the application that they become over-trusting and they now just believe it's the technology that will give the answers. So how do you deal with these various dimensions of trust? Absolutely. I think it's a very uh, important question and maybe difficult to answer too. Uh, I think there are at least two angles to addressing the trust part. One, if you look at AI technologies, by and large, they can be faceless. You only consumer of the information, but you don't know 
where they are getting produced, how they are getting delivered to you, right? Therefore, it's important to put a face behind it. In case there is a problem, farmers have a place to go and there must be an accountability and that must end up with a human being. But you also need an ecosystem where that kind of trust is already baked in and bolted in, which in the case means that you know, farm cooperatives, farm produce organizations where farmers themselves kind of form a cooperative. Therefore, if we can uh, depute somebody, nominate somebody who acts on your behalf to educate them and in case there is any problem, farmers have a place to go. That's uh, that kind of an accountability and putting a face behind these technologies is important. That's one way to build trust. The second is the technology. As I mentioned before, we are extremely careful and to some extent we, we are very self-critical of what we do in the sense that are we building a reliable and safe technologies? In fact, we are inspired by the work that is being done by Google with respect to their uh, reliability principles to deliver AI technologies, even to build them, right? We take, definitely take inspiration from Google and many other organizations which are championing the democratization and access to these technologies. So these are the kind of principles we consider when we design systems and more so when AI is involved. Let me ask a follow-up question. So my understanding is that Cotton Ace is an open source project. Is that to an extent tied to building trust as well, or is that very different? Absolutely. And that's another aspect. I think thanks for bringing this out. We haven't done that as much as we like to. What I call like open innovation principles or open innovation policies, meaning your data sets shall be open sourced. Uh, for example, thanks to Google and other donor like ZIZ, we're able to open source the data that we collected for a period of two to three years. The idea is that Wadwani AI itself need not be the custodians of this technology. Anybody should be able to build an application, give us a model uh, so that we want to promote kind of diversity in thinking and deliver what is best for the community, in this case, farmers. So definitely open sourcing data sets, open sourcing our models, even open sourcing our innovation and thinking, you know, uh, what I call like a playbook, put the playbook out. Therefore, you know, whenever somebody has a better model or a better idea, we want to do backward integration. You know, this is kind of different from what you generally see in the open source community. It's not simply enough to put your data sets and put your models in the out. But we also want to develop an incentive mechanism for people to work on those models, work on those data sets, so that the backward integration is possible. Now, for example, uh, India is a very young country, relatively speaking. We have enormous students' potential. How do we leverage it? So if you can give problems like this to academic institutions, to students, in fact, we have done that. We partnered with Harvard uh, students with respect to their capsule projects in their masters for data sciences. We gave the same problem. We gave the data sets. Now we are in incorporating the learnings from those partnerships. So in that sense, we are a very open organization. We work with uh, you know, anybody who has interest and who has commitment to solving these problems together. Therefore, I go beyond open sourcing, also called open syncing, meaning get the things in so that you deliver and close the lost main connectivity. This encourages a community to participate and they see a tangible benefit of their own work. I love that approach. One of the questions I'm really curious about as well is the impact of what you do. So how do you actually determine the impact of your technology on, for example, the farmers in India or the broader system? Yeah, um, actually, what you asked is, is sort of the million or maybe billion dollar question. <laughs> I think that's the question, right? Like, you know, how do we know whether this is working? 
And it's always in context, right? Data is always relative. You see a data point, you see a number, you know, that's always relative to some other number. Is it more? Is it less? Is it better? Is it worse? So on and so forth. At a specific project level, let's talk about Cotton Ace or this National Pest Surveillance System. It is this collective group that has to define, you know, what determines impact. Is it the fact that you're seeing usage by farmers increase year after year? You know, they may not be paying for it, but you know they're using it. So does that consider as impact? The fact that maybe information is being used to, you know, improve government policies on benefits to give, fertilizer, you know, various kinds of things to support farmers. Would it be something as concrete as difference in yield, uh, which is great, you know, and that's sort of the North Star that everyone sort of, you know, as far of difference in yield, reduction in amount of pesticide use, you know, or chemical pesticide use, and, you know, other sort of metrics on the farm, which directly, you know, financially benefit the farmer, also, you know, put more agricultural output out there. But these are the conversations that we need to have. Otherwise, what you can do is, in some rough sense of cherry picking, which pieces of information you want to support what narrative. So it's a, it's a complex question, which unfortunately, you know, I don't have a direct answer for, but that's my understanding. Yeah, I think my take on that one is, uh, I'll put them into two buckets. One, I call that direct impact, directly measurable by you, and the indirect slash network effects. Because you have a solution, it might actually amplify and provide access to other innovations which are not in your direct control, which you might yourself might not have perceived. I think at least internally, what we have definite clarity on uh, uh, defining the immediate uh, metrics. For example, if you introduce, let's say, you know, cotton is a solution and you deliver advisory and the advisory needs to, let's say, lead to a certain reduction in the pesticide user, right? This is something that we could do in a control setting. I think in control setting, it must be very clear that we shall have a, a clear goals on what we like to achieve. Either when things scale or when multiple system, multiple things are at play, given that it's a large, complex ecosystem, then it's, it's maybe difficult to measure the indirect effects of what you have done. Uh, but at least from a thinking perspective, we shall ask ourselves, if I have the solution, if this information is made or convert into intelligence, what kind of new opportunities can it unlock? In other words, there is a realized effect, which is immediate and direct. Then there's a potential which could be indirect and, and uh, you know, given new market forces or given new players that come and, and plug where you don't have capability, but others have. It's like complementary skill. So at some point, we hope to have this combinatorial kind of uh, uh, abilities that come together and create more solutions than what you have anticipated. This particular aspect is very difficult to quantify, but having this thinking built into your solutions allows for this kind of intangible benefits which yourselves have not anticipated. How you solve it is equally important so that not only you deliver on your direct impact metrics, but also on facilitate and enable uh, the intangible benefits, which are hard to quantify because we are not agriculture is a very disfranchised uh, you know, system. Now, hopefully, you know, with the better digital technologies and interoperabilities, we can probably in future uh, even measure the indirect effects, impact metrics, I mean to say. Yeah, I can only imagine that because I would assume that for so many of the solutions, an income model might not necessarily be clear because we haven't really spoken about today from so. What are the economics of the models you're developing and how do you ultimately sustain that as well? That's for a different conversation. 
our biggest audience for the podcast are probably the change makers working in food systems. So one of my favorite questions is, if you knew then what you know now, what might you either tell your younger version or what would you do differently or what would you more off if you could actually start from scratch? So what have you learned on your change journey and ultimately applying AI to pest control, pest management, and now actually broadening it to many, many more crops? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I sort of can't help but come back to the, this idea of systems thinking. And I think it was mentioned sometime earlier in this call, is that you know we have to realize that there is a better system that we need to sort of put in place for all of us, that we're all connected, right? And um, yes, you know, we're always sort of inclined to think, okay, what is a specific problem statement that you're solving, how you're solving it and all that. But that is, especially, you know, for a nonprofit, the way we sort of operate, you know, we're sort of somewhat obligated to look at the larger system and see the value. So even in the case of Cotnace, there is as much value in that farmer getting the advisory as there is that the ministry can get a sense that, okay, this is the kind of infestation that's happening in these places. And I can know that real time. That's a starting point. So that two years, a year down the line, two years down the line, I can create a predictive system, which will help me prepare better. That's something that, you know, we didn't know in 2019 when we won the Google AI Impact Challenge. We didn't know this part of it. So it's this system thinking that, you know, where innovation also has to go and how things that we do maybe on the field, how they plug back in into the larger system is, is very important. Thank you. Aditya, Soma, thank you so much for joining us on Food Lab Talk today. It's been really wonderful to hear about your incredible work, and I'm thoroughly impressed by the clarity you've provided to me about how your AI application is making the difference. I truly can't wait to see what Wadwani AI will do next. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. Reflecting on today's interview, here are my top takeaways for change makers. Change moves at the speed of trust. This is especially true when using novel technology or working in a high stakes environment. Think holistically. Make sure to include a human element or face and seek out partnerships or ecosystems where trust is already built in. Understand the community. Don't make assumptions. Meet community members where they're at. For example, Cotton Age is designed to work offline because farmers might not always have reliable internet access. Prove the case and demonstrate value. Systems change can be daunting. Break it down. Zoom in and begin by adding value where you can make an impact. As Soma said, Odwani's initial approach was to solve the problem of pest management. But they recognize this is not the only solution to address the system's challenge. After initially proving cotton age, Odwani is expanding their technology to be applied to more crops. But the unlock was simply getting going. Open source innovation can reach beyond point source solutions and become an ecosystem builder and enable future innovations. Clearly, technology needs to provide immediate value, but it can also be structured in a way that opens the door for other change makers to add their own creativity. 
I liked what Soma said about open source and open sync to incentivize users to bring their own creative ideas to the project. Collaboration is key. For more information about Wadwani AI, be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the podcast as foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and take whatever action you can take toward a better food system. See you next time.